Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. Well, this is episode 65, and as the year 2021 winded, wow, start again. Sorry about that. As the year 2021 winds down, I've been thinking a lot about gaming, not because I have become a gamer. I'm not, as I've said many times on the show, but gaming is such an important thing for so many people. And frankly, there's so much going on in accessibility terms that every once in a while I like to check in with people who do pay attention to gaming and who can tell me things that I don't know about the topic. And so I wanted to do that partly as a way to sort of wrap up 2021 in gaming and partly just to check in, as I say, with some folks who uh, have really different experiences uh, with gaming than I do. And I have two wonderful guests today. Uh, I have Grant Stoner, who is the former mobility editor for Can I Play That, a site dedicated to gaming and accessibility. He is currently a writer for IGN, Wired, The Washington Post, and other fine publications. Grant, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Glad to have you. And next up is Lauren Radford. She is a disabled streamer. She's based in the Netherlands. And as we talked about earlier, uh, she, like I and like Grant, is the owner or is owned by, depending on your point of view, (laughs) uh, several cats. Lauren, welcome to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. So, so I will, uh, as I promised before we got started, we'll we'll digress to talk about our cats because that was our our first uh, uh, connection as as a group here. So, uh, so Lauren, tell me, how are your cats involved in your gaming life, and what are their names? <laughs> um, oh, uh, my uh, my cats' names are Molly, Tiger Lily, Muffin, and Luna. Um, they are terrors, chaotic uh, demons that I would willingly sacrifice myself for. Um, they are involved in my gaming life mostly by punching the PC screens, trying to type on the keyboard, um, putting their bum in full view of the camera (laughs) when I'm streaming and just generally trying to make sure that my microphone does not stay anywhere near my voice range, um, or sometimes on the desk. They so they're are. good cats, is what you're saying. <laughs> they're wonderful. Yeah, excellent. And Grant, you're also the uh, you're you're kept by a cat, or you're the owner of a cat. <laughs> what do your cats do uh, when you're gaming? Yeah, my cat's name is Goomba, and he just he's a Goomba. He just sleeps <laughs> whenever I game. He doesn't really bother me when I'm not gaming. He um he tries to jump on my chair, and I drive him around my house, or he uh. Scratches the furniture if he demands food and is a terror outside of gaming. But when I'm gaming, he's a good patient boy. So, so I will say I have three cats, and uh, when I come into this little closet where I do podcasts, every once in a while I will find uh, one of them in my podcast chair because it's a quiet, secluded place. Although maybe they're making episodes that they're not telling me about. If you see a podcast called Rowan, the Fluffy Orange and White Cat Show, it's probably him. So, Well, uh, now we have uh, cats out of the way. Uh, I want to talk to 
you guys about uh, about what 2021 has been like as a gaming year and a, as a uh, and where we are in terms of accessible gaming. But before we do that, I'd love for each of you to to sort of talk about uh, who you are as gamers. Grant, you're a you're a writer. I assume you're also a gamer, and you have a specific interest in accessibility and have written on that topic. But but talk about your yourself. So let people tell people a little bit more about who you are. Uh yeah, I'm um. I've been gaming since I can remember. I think about at the age of three, my earliest memory is playing um, the Super Nintendo in my parents' bedroom uh, with my brother. Um, and it just evolved from there because for me, gaming has been a way to socialize when I haven't been able to access the outside world and normal activities like sports, um, hunting, because where I live, hunting is a big activity that people do um going out things like that um but as i got older i wanted to share my experiences and the experiences of other disabled people in the gaming industry through writing so i shifted it from essentially a hobby to a career where i could really highlight that specific marginalized group and really elevate their voices to where it wasn't niche anymore and it became a serious topic that many sites now report on i've noticed that there is a lot of conversation about accessibility that that goes on in the quote-unquote mainstream gaming world it doesn't seem to be as separated from the the game the larger gaming world as a lot of other tech related accessibility does you, you you sort of see an occasional story about general technology and accessibility stuff but it it's it I feel like gaming is doing a little better job of covering this this topic yeah it, it's a time and admittedly um, there's still work to be done but compared to where it was I would even say five years ago it's immensely improved. Cool, Lauren. Tell us something about yourself. So you're you're a streamer. So not only are you you're you're gaming, but you're paying attention to how the gaming that you do, uh, how you interact with with an audience out there. So that's all. That's a whole other level of uh, of, of work. Yeah, it's uh, it's very weird because I never set out uh, with the intention of making it um, like a career of any kind. It was more just a thing of I was very very sick. Um, and after a period of sickness where I really couldn't even sit up in bed, I'd gotten to a stage where I could play some games and my, in my silly little head, I thought, oh, it won't be too much more difficult sitting here. And if I just talk to people, (laughs) little did I know, uh, streaming is incredibly involved. Um, there's so much to, uh, focus on so much to do. Um, and then of course, it's because it's a very public thing. You kind of have a responsibility of the things you say and the, um, the kind of like the causes that you support, the uh, fundraising that you do, um, the tweets you make, like everything is, is very, um, you have to be very conscious and just make sure you're doing the best with the, the time that you have and the content that you can bring. Do you also feel like you have to be a good gamer because whenever I see streamers, I think I could never do that because I'd be bad at it and they would make fun of me. My audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I, uh, when I started off streaming, I pretty much just played story games because you, it's very difficult to get those wrong or be unskilled at them because you just are clicking the right uh, text options for a conversation or something like that. Um, but over over time, over the over the years, I've found that I really I don't need to be good at a game. They're impressed if I am, and they make jokes if I'm not. Um, so really, I think it depends on the the audience that you cultivate, whether or not they're going to actually <laughs> treat you badly over your skills. But um, yeah, no, it's a. Uh, I, I find that um, nowadays, especially now that the conversation around accessibility in games is, is, is a lot more talked about both in the streaming circles and in, um, you know, publications and things like that. But yeah, as the conversation has increased in the, in the, uh, in all the gaming circles, I found that people judge less. If I say, you know what, I'm just going to go play it on easy. I'm too tired today. Let's have have some fun. And they don't mind. They don't judge. And so you feel confident in playing, say, a new game that maybe you haven't played before? Or do you do you like take time to get skilled at a game before you actually stream it? Um, I always go in with my first impressions. Um, Mm. The majority of the time, the first time I boot the game, other than to see if it will load, is um, on stream because I want to give people my very honest um, perception of it from the beginning. And then they get to see me progress and learn the mechanics and and grow as a player of that game. Which is the experience that a a user would have if they were starting to play the game from from scratch. Yeah. Let let me ask for for both of you, this topic for the show sort of came from a, a regular listener and actually a past guest on the show who said 2021 was a pretty interesting year for gaming accessibility. And uh, obviously there were uh, some some announcements around Xbox controller, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about later specifically. But I guess I wonder if you guys agree, if you have found 2021 to be particularly noteworthy in terms of uh, gaming in general or, and, and gaming accessibility, obviously, specifically. This year alone hasn't really been a standout year in terms of massive innovation, but that's okay. What instead we've seen is a progression toward the evolution of accessibility that we experienced last year and the year before. Um, Not every year, in my opinion, needs to be this, oh my gosh, this year is amazing. Look at all these new and innovative games and systems, and there were some standouts like Ratchet and Clank, um, Forza Horizon 5. But what they did wasn't, in my opinion, necessarily groundbreaking. They just refined the systems that already existed to make it easier for disabled people to play. Which I would prefer that over a year where it's all this new and crazy exciting innovations. I would rather we take time to refine what we already have so that more people can enjoy it. Yeah, I actually agree. I I think that, yes, 
this year didn't didn't see in uh, very much of um kind of groundbreaking uh new high edge cutting edge tech um but i've noticed more and more as especially um you know a lot more game studios saying like hey we are hiring for accessibility consultants we are opening an accessibility branch in our studio or they um are hiring more uh disabled people to work on their games and and kind of give their input and you know perspective um and and kind of helping um the studios grow from the inside which then comes out in the products that they bring out you know so it's a it's a it's a progression in the right direction to make accessibility in games a more uh, like a, making games accessible more common that that does feel like such a good thing because as opposed to waiting for those big announcements and for them to for lay something brand new on you, it feels like something that progress that could continue from year to year to year and it gets the game studios and hopefully the hardware makers sort of used to that being part of their overall process, it sounds like. I feel like 2021 was a kind of the year that the foundations were strengthened more than any shiny new facades were built for it's a good way to put it (laughs) grant you wrote about xbox and sony's latest consoles in terms of their accessibility and those came out before 2021 but you you're you're taught you were writing in in 2021 about them and sort of about i guess how those have settled out in terms of accessibility do you want to say anything about uh what the latest generation of consoles has has meant for accessibility it depends on who you are, right? Because it depends on what your limitations are, what your disabilities are. Because even though the systems are great and they really are opening gaming to thousands of more disabled people, they're still not perfect. Um, I know for me, Sony systems are largely unplayable because they don't have adaptive technology. So while the studios they have are implementing features and they're refining um, options and gameplay for disabled people, the overall tech at Sony is lacking. But if you switch over to Xbox, for people with motor disabilities like myself, they have a device that lets you that lets you play these games, albeit at a slightly elevated price tag, which in turn is its own problem because not many disabled people have the finances or the resources to purchase a device that's when combined with the controller and the adaptive kit and the other peripherals that can reach over $350 just for a single controller. Not many disabled people have that. So while the systems are really evolving in terms of the features they have, the studios, the games that they're creating are more inclusive. There's still work to be done to make them a system where a disabled person can comfortably go to a store, see it on the shelf, and be like, you know what, I'm going to buy this today. I don't think we're there yet. Well, and you alluded to technology that is specifically intended to provide 
what's needed for somebody with physical disabilities, but there are obviously a great many other kinds of disabilities from vision mm-hmm. loss to hearing impairment to uh, autism spectrum or cognitive kinds of disabilities. Do you have any thoughts about where we are in terms of accessibility in some of those other categories? There's so much more that can be done um, because mostly for people with disabilities that aren't physical, you have to rely on the settings that are in a specific name or the design of the game, how the game plays. And if it's not accessible, regardless of what system you're on, that's not going to let you play the game. So I think there needs to be a shift away from the mobility aspect of disability. I think the industry needs to start adopting and understanding people who are deaf, hard of hearing, people who have low vision or are blind, people with varying cognitive disabilities, because then it can be inclusive. But right now, the industry is very much focused on how can we let physically disabled people play our systems. And that's not necessarily fair to the vast majority of the disabled community. Right, because you have to think about adaptive technology in a different way. I mean, for, for the game can work the same way, but if you if your physical need is for a controller that lets you manipulate the hardware in a different way, that kind of leaves the studio out, right? They don't have to change their software. They don't have to do anything. I mean, obviously, some studios have provided settings that allow you to uh, use, you know, access them with the controller and that sort of stuff. But if you're talking about visual, especially, or even hard of hearing related uh, changes, you're probably going to have to make some actual changes to the game. And then the hardware, the operating system for the hardware has to support it too. So I, I would imagine that the point of view of the game developers is that's harder. And I don't know how we, and I guess I wonder how, how do we sort of get to the next step where we say, yeah, it's harder, but let's do that. Let's make those changes. I think the mm-hmm. thing that makes it so much more difficult is because the majority of the accessibility uh, options are mostly software-based. If you're not building the accessibility into the software from the very beginning, you're constantly going to break the code, trying to yeah. implement uh, changes like uh, halfway through at the end. Um, so until studios are actively thinking about how accessible they want the game to be from the beginning of planning and making the game, um, they're going to keep encountering so many roadblocks in their uh, attempts to make their game accessible. This episode of Parallel is brought to you by The IntraZone. You know, I love finding new podcasts, especially when we have a little downtime at the holidays. It's uh, great to dig around on the internet and find new shows to listen to. It's always delightful. And if you're looking for a new show to listen to, The IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews hosted by the SharePoint team on how SharePoint's OneDrive, Teams, Viva, and more can work for you you'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field so you can see how SharePoint and Microsoft 365 fit into your everyday work life and learn more about the flexibility when working with content, workflow, search, and more. 
Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives from product experts inside and outside Microsoft, and upcoming events, conferences, and workshops. And the topics for each episode are really interesting. Previous episodes cover Microsoft Lists, Knowledge Management and Search, and No to Low-Code Solutions with Power Platform. So I listened to a couple of episodes about the SharePoint's roadmap. And Microsoft in general, and SharePoint's particularly, uh, does a good job of sort of roadmapping what customers and uh, users can expect from SharePoint's going forward. And so this episode, there were several of them, uh, detailed a lot of what we can expect to come in, in SharePoint's. And I just really appreciated that perspective from inside a company. So go and listen to it now. Just search for The Intrazone wherever you get podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, or just click the link in the show notes. Go check it out. Our thanks to The Intrazone and Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and Relay FM. Is there a way in which certain games get the accessibility treatment and others don't? Is there a ghettoization of accessibility in the sense that, oh, well, you should just play these games because they're designed to be accessible, but no, I want to play something else. I want to play whatever the hot game is that may or may not have been made accessible. I would say that tends to be a myth portrayed by able-bodied people who want to gatekeep gaming from disabled individuals. Um, many studios from AAA to Indie have actively begun to incorporate accessibility into the game's design, as well as include um, options and features that can benefit. Um, the issue that we have is developers are scared of adding accessibility because they think it's very daunting. But in reality, there are so many consultants, um, reviewers, members of the community who can teach them and show them that it's not as daunting as you think. But I think generally, the ones who gatekeep gaming in terms of um, trying to prevent who can play what game are mostly people who are able-bodied and just don't want to be inclusive. But I really do feel that developers want as many people as possible to play. I mean, that's positive. That's <laughs> that's 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 great. Um, Grant, you were also saying you were talking before about the sort of differences between uh, your experience with Xbox and with Sony. And I don't want to leave Nintendo out here. What's the state of accessibility from your perspective of in the Nintendo world? Um. <laughs> oh gosh, you're gonna make me go on a tangent. Please, um, <laughs> please do. Yeah, yeah. People are gonna not like me for saying this, but the Nintendo has proved that accessibility is a spectrum, right? Being disabled is a mass or a vast spectrum that you cannot just hone in on one specific thing. For many people. Nintendo is a godsend. They are by far some of the most accessible studios and the Switch is one of the most accessible systems for so many people because of the unique capability to position the controllers however you want, 
Um, you can do full system remapping. Many of the games are so simplistic in their design. Conversely, the Nintendo Switch is the least accessible system that's ever existed for so many disabled people because of the very reasons I mentioned and the fact that they don't include accessibility in their games. So I always get, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but like I always hesitate whenever I talk about the Switch because for me, I love it. Um, it works for my needs. Um, it's beneficial for my limited reach and my inability to press certain buttons. But I know for so many others, it's the worst system that's ever existed. Lauren, do you have a, a particular platform that you're on or you use all of them? Do you have some thoughts on the hardware side? Um, yeah, I so very fortunate to have pretty much every system. Um, I have a quite old Nintendo Switch now. Um, but yeah, I found that um, the Nintendo Switch is in a way um, quite... Uh, nice because you know i could take the the controllers off and move them around and hold them different ways and blah blah blah. but like grant said they don't make their games accessible so there are a lot of games that require motion controls but because i have um a disease uh, a chronic illness that um makes my actual energy levels really really low and i get negative health effects from using energy um i can't play those games because i don't have the energy to be swinging these controllers around all over the place to make things happen in the game it's just it's 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 um it's unattainable for me to be able to play those games um so yeah that's that's the the kind of conundrum in that aspect are the things that one does with a switch where you're actually simulating you know, physical activity and playing physical games in a lot of cases are though it, it, in order to make that platform accessible, whether to somebody with a physical disability or visual disability, do the game makers have to, does Nintendo make, in terms of making games have to do something really different in terms of the design of the, of the games to make them accessible, different, say, than a shoot 'em up, you know, a, a, a shooter that you're playing on some other platform? I would say that Nintendo definitely could include accessibility consultants and people in the community who can help provide the resources they need to make their games accessible. But again, Nintendo is such a conundrum that for some it's the best, for some it's the worst. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really difficult to say, I think they should be doing this because... Um, I don't want to speak for the people who benefit from the Switch. I also don't want to speak for the people who don't benefit from the Switch. So I, I, I don't really know if it's possible to give an answer they should be doing this because for some, they don't need to, but for others, they clearly do. Well, and I feel like that's a general thing to be wary of is when we talk about gaming accessibility, that it depends so much on what your specific needs are, which is why I, I, I try to ask my questions in such a way that I'm not asking you to make a blanket statement about good or bad, because 
if you're able to use it, that's terrific for you. And if you're not, then you have a an issue where you might say to somebody, here's what you could do to make it more accessible mm-hmm. for, you know, and, and, and that's the job of the people, I suppose, who are hiring accessibility consultants and getting a, a wide enough a range of those people that you get all kinds of experiences. So, so, oh, well, Grant says it's okay, so it's okay. Well, that's not good mm-hmm. enough, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote two stories um, about the switch. I wrote a guide for the Washington Post about the switch is great for people with physical disabilities. Um, and I gave several resources as to how they can play. I also said in numerous times um, that these are my opinions and the opinions of people that I know. I was vilified for that piece. So many disabled people were angry at me for writing it. And they were saying it was dangerous and and so on and so forth. And then several months later, I wrote a piece that said the switch isn't good for people with varying disabilities. And people were like, are you contradicting yourself? I was like, no, I'm just trying to show you that it's a spectrum. And you can't give a blanket answer. Right. And I think that's what a lot of, and again, I because I don't spend as much time in gaming as I do in general technology, my examples and my, my thoughts are about, about that. There's this desire from, sometimes from the disabled community, but a lot of times from the mainstream community, to hear that accessibility has been handled. Okay, they do some, they do accessibility, therefore it's fixed for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. accessibility being a spectrum is super important. And I think maybe in gaming we understand that a little bit better than we do in the wider tech world. At least that's my personal feeling from every, just from, from what I read because maybe because gaming is such a physical act and it's clear that if you have a motor disability – you you might not use your hands or your arms in the same way that somebody else does, but but people don't think as viscerally about how one might use a computer or a phone or a tablet or something like that. I, I'm not sure if there's a question in there. <laughs> well, let's talk about the the software side. And Grant, I think you you talked a little bit about uh, studios and how they're addressing accessibility. But Lauren, I, I want to turn to you and ask you what your take on that when you is when you encounter. Uh, new games from from and I, I don't know how you go about choosing what new games to play, whether it's the one that's the most popular or or what. But I guess I, I wonder what your thoughts are about uh, how studios are doing in terms of improving accessibility and whether certain studios or certain kinds of studios are doing a better job of it. Um, it's. Uh just like accessibility is a stra- is a spectrum, um, the way accessibility is being treated by studios is a spectrum, I think. Um, and I, I think it all comes down to what the studio is personally trying to make, because some 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 studios, uh, some game developers simply just want to make a game that is a game that they want to play, and. Um, don't really take into wider consideration maybe some things that um, they don't see as an accessibility issue, but ends up being one. I, uh, I played a game recently that um, that uh, said that it was very much a um, kind of a love letter to old games where there wasn't any handholding and you didn't get quest objectives or any markers or any things like that. And as somebody with cognitive issues, that was hell to play. 
that was so difficult because I couldn't remember anything that had been said to me from a conversation two minutes prior because I I just don't take things in very well. Um, so I immediately was off on a bad foot, like, oh God, what am I going to do? Uh, spent the whole time constantly asking if anybody in my chat remembered what I needed to do or where I could go. Um, and it, and it was just, it was, it wasn't that it was difficult. It's that I couldn't play it. Like I couldn't progress because there just wasn't enough available, um, that made the game accessible. Um, but then you see in other studios, um, and I mean, you saw it with like Ratchet and Clank, um, and Forza Horizon, uh, five, and then also like, uh, the veil shadow of the crown, um, which is a, a game that was, um, developed in collaboration it says uh on google here because my trusty friend google uh for the with the canadian national institute for the blind so it was made for and tested by uh blind and low vision players and i remember playing that game and it blew me away i i've never played a game like it it's stunning i'm curious about the experience you had with, with the game that sort of challenged you your cognitive issues what do you take from that? Do you get frustrated? Do you get angry? Do you get embarrassed because you're in a chat and you're not able to? I mean, are you what in the end, what do you what do you take away from that experience? And, and what would you have done differently had you known that was going to happen? Um, at the end of the day, I think if I had known going into it that there would be zero support for that kind of anything that involves the memory, I probably wouldn't have played it because it's always a bit embarrassing um, when you're having a conversation and you lose track of uh, what you're saying mid-sentence or you listen to something and then less than a minute later you get distracted by something in the game and then all that information's gone. Um, and it's, you know, it's a little bit because I'm not even 30. And I, I can't remember like what I had for breakfast. Um, and so it, it does get a bit embarrassing at times, but I, I, I end up just getting frustrated, you know, um, a little bit like, oh, because, you know, the actual story of the game seemed really interesting. And I really wanted to like take a big juicy bite out of that world and out of that story and really get to like get to know it. And I just couldn't. When you're deciding that you want to stream a new game, is is that the criteria for you that the story sounds interesting, or, or where do you how how do you decide what to stream next? It's either um, the game looks really fun or very interesting, and that's it. And you just you go in without necessarily knowing what its accessibility is because you're more you're interested in the game and you're hoping that it's going to be available to you in all ways. Yeah, I always um, I always go into the menus at the beginning and see what accessibility options are available because I would rather not have to struggle immediately if there are ways for me to, you know, uh, make sure that um, a bu button press, repeated button presses becomes a button hold or I can skip quick time events and things altogether um, or other such options that uh, like make view uh, waypoints clearer and uh, icons on the map or in the game uh, more visible. Um, 
And I like to have those options enabled from the off if they have them. And if I notice the game doesn't have it, I know I'm in for a bad ride. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the game you were saying that was so amazing that the <laughs> Uh, tell me what was what was great about it. Was it just that it was a great game that happened to be accessible, or was it wow they did a great job with accessibility? And also, I like the game. Yeah, well, I um I have I had the privilege of being able to nominate some games for the Innovation and Accessibility Award for the Game Awards, and so I had this a big old list of games um, that were kind of thrown my way uh, for for um, consideration, and I saw the veil and read that it was um it was a uh, designed entirely for blind and low vision players so i get it installed i boot the game up headset on it's a black screen total black <laughs> screen but from the surround sound in my headset i could tell where the character was talking to me from and where enemies were coming from and it respond like uh you have to play on the xbox i think at the moment because of the uh specific controller uh mechanisms and other um and like the the hardware in particular has to be able to handle a certain amount of stuff so it's only available on the console right now um but i was just sat there and i ended up just closing my eyes and just having an amazing time and I, got, I ended up getting like goosebumps a little bit because I really felt like I was in that the audio design in the game was done so well that I could I could kind of um, envisage how far away a, a running stream was from me. Um, and it was just brilliant. I, I think that it's it's uh, every blind and low vision player should get an opportunity to play it. And I also think those who don't have those accessibility needs would enjoy the experience. Did you stream it? I have not yet. I just wonder what a reaction from stream viewers would be. I mean, it's a black screen, right? So they're going to get your your narration plus whatever sounds are coming from the game, but they're going to be looking at a blank screen as you are. Yeah. I mean, there were some um, like glowing lights and things that appeared from when I was looking at the screen, but it didn't, nothing really seemed to have a specific form. It was just kind of twinkling lights. It was just, it was just a pretty little background almost. Um, so yeah, it definitely, um, I, I am thinking about streaming it. It's just finding a place in the very hectic schedule of the million games I still haven't played. Sure. So, <laughs> so talking about studios then, so you, you gave examples of one that really didn't work for you and one that really did. And at least in this case, the one that really did was intentionally designed if not for a blind and low vision audience, at least with major input from an organization that focuses on that audience. And I, I wonder what you think about other what's going on with other studios in terms of uh, games that are designed to be played by everyone. And if, if, if you feel like uh, if there, there's a movement toward more accessibility in general, or if it's really specific to certain studios that say, hey, we're going to do a game that has accessibility as a big priority? I think that um, it's a little bit of a mix. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's clear that some studios, especially some of the bigger studios, are really committing. Um, you know, they're, they're having um, 
like uh, disability organizations. Um, and I know that uh, Sega is um, uh, one of my friends, Stacy of Gotham. She works at Sega and they've been doing, she's, she's been doing so much work internally, uh, creating teams um, and really kind of pushing accessibility to the forefront of everybody's minds there. And um, I know that Ubisoft has been doing a lot more work, um, lots more um, outsourcing as well. Um, I actually, uh, I volunteer for a usability testing for Team 17. Um, and in those sessions, they very much focus on like, are there any parts that you cannot do for whatever reason? Uh, what is the obstacle? How can we improve the, it in the game so that it becomes more playable? Um, so there are definitely studios that are really focusing on it. But then you do have some studios, uh, <clears throat> uh, Dark Souls <laughs> uh, type games. <laughs> Who, Got an agreement um, there. <laughs> where like, oh God, I love those games so much, but I hate the community around it and i and i hate that um there's such a visceral hatred towards uh people that would that have uh said that they would like options in the game that makes it so that they can physically play it and that apparently causes great offense and i just i don't like it yeah that's unfortunate Grant, talk some about your your thoughts about studios, I mean, and again, whether you want to divide it among indie or and big studios, or whether you just want to talk about particular standouts one way or another. What, what do you think? I think overall, there's a greater emphasis on accessibility and inclusion, um, and I really do believe that a lot of studios try their hardest to include as many disabled people as possible. Um, I don't think, and this sounds kind of pessimistic, but I don't think there will ever be a game that's fully playable by everyone because, again, disability is such a spectrum that you can't account for every disability. And even for disabilities that people have different symptoms, but um, I know for me and my disability, people have far greater range of motion than me. People have far less range of motion than me. So I don't think it's possible for a studio to make a game that every single person can enjoy. However, I do believe that many studios, um, Microsoft Studios, Sony Studios, uh, even indie studios, I won't say Nintendo because <laughs> we've already covered that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I truly believe that a lot of studios are really emphasizing the need to include as many disabled players as possible. Whether or not they'll succeed is a different story, but the fact that they're still trying and they really want to bring in these voices to make sure they're doing it right, really says how far the industry has come even from five or so years ago. 
we've talked a couple times about the, the terms diversity, equity, inclusion, which are a, a big deal in the larger world and obviously are relevant in gaming. And there's some parts of gaming that have been uh, have been and continue to be toxic. And I guess I'm wondering how each of you think accessibility as a as a concept, as a goal, as a good good idea is fits fits into that whether people who think about games in terms of more equitable representation or or a broader spectrum of the kinds of people who not only play but who appear in the games i guess i wonder if you feel like accessibility fits into that rubric or if it's kind of kind of a separate thing do those conversations bring those two elements together that one's a tough one honestly mm-hmm. Um, I think because it's, it's, it's very complex, you know, um, there are the loud minority of people who don't want to see any accessibility in their beloved, very hard achievement games. Um, and so would rather not, um, have those things implemented because it, they don't want lesser players to be able to enjoy the games that they are able to beat. And then, of course, of course you've got the people that think that if um, a, a studio made a game with a disabled protagonist, that it's just some woke nonsense and it's just for uh, virtue signaling and blah, blah, blah. And then you've got the majority of people who um, don't mind. Uh, it doesn't really affect them to have options in a game or a piece of extra piece of technology that can be acquired for their system um, and are just happy if people can use the product. Um, so it's uh, it, it very much is involved, uh, will be uh, involving in future, which people uh, are being listened to in the conversation. Yeah. Um- Literally everything that Lauren just said. Also, there's the notion that I know in terms of representation, there are a lot of disabled people who don't want to see themselves in a game mm-hmm. because they want to escape mm. their their world, they want to escape their disability. And we can't tell them that that's wrong because that's their internalized struggle that they have to deal with. So I know there are going to be games that even disabled people don't want to see themselves featured because they just want to escape. That is such an interesting point, and I hadn't ever thought of it quite that way. But, uh, like, I love driving games, but I don't necessarily want my avatar to have a cane or wear dark glasses or something like that. I just want to drive, right? Mm. And, And I can see where somebody who is a wheelchair user might love a game where they can run and jump and do the things, whether it, whether they perceive it as themselves or whether they perceive it as an abstraction and a fantasy that has nothing to do with them as people. I, I can see where they're like, you know, I don't, I see enough wheelchairs in my daily life. But then there are other people who might think, you know, why, why can't this person be a wheelchair user? So that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting point of view and worth thinking about. I guess uh, one one last question, uh, and then well, we have we have a bonus question at the end, but but one last sort of question for the for the main section of the show, for people who 
are who are have disabilities of various kinds and who maybe want to get into gaming and who have never really done so. I guess I wonder if you have any have any advice. And again, I'll I'll bring it back to myself briefly, where I've always thought I've never owned gaming consoles because I've always thought, well, there's probably a game or two I could play, but I don't know that it would be worth it because I'm not sure how many how many games I can play. But if if somebody really is motivated and they they want to become more involved in gaming and aren't sure kind of where to start and where best to, to look for, for resources and for games they can play. I'd love to hear what each of you would, would advise that person. Um, it, again, very much depends on the person, um, what uh, funds they have for uh, equipment that they may or may not need. Um, and also just depends on what the person wants out of a gaming experience, you know, because some people want to escape, some people want to relax, some people want to be challenged. Um, some people just want to kind of sit and watch a film that lets you make some choices every now and again. Um, everybody uh, wants very different things. And I'll, I'll do a little shout out. I, I, I think that people who want to get into gaming should think about what kinds of games that they would like to play um you know whether they're looking for um something that's really chilled and fun and nice or really challenging maybe look up which uh you know look up like top 10 chill games of 2021 or something um and just kind of browse what games are available and then as a last note i would recommend looking on can i play that um because Yes, not every game in the world is going to have a review on it, but there are a lot of very well-written and um, a lot of very well-written um, accessibility reviews, but also from different perspectives, whether it's a, cogn whether it's a cognitive review or a, a, a low vision review or um, a mobility review. Um, there's enough um, scope there that people can get a, a decent idea of how a game is going to work for them. I would really love it if um, game studios would give out, uh, bring out accessibility demos for their games. So a person mm -hmm. can actually download a game and, and maybe play it for 10 minutes or something, get to fiddle around in menus and see how it works for them because too many disabled people spend money on games and then can't play them. Yeah, I was... Definitely look up resources like Can I Play That? Um, streamers, too. Disabled streamers are a great way to not only find like-minded people, but also see the game for yourself being played live. And then you can determine whether or not it's possible. Um, I think now in gaming, it's the best time to become a gamer with all the innovations coming out and the support from developers. But ultimately, the biggest piece of advice I would give is just play what you enjoy. It's as simple as that. Don't, you don't, if you want to play a game that's three years old because you enjoy it, then play it. If you want to play, dare I say, Dark Souls <laughs> because you enjoy it, then do it. If you want to play exclusively racing games, or if you're like me and your favorite series is Pokemon, 
then just play Pokemon. Like, you don't need to play what everyone else is doing. And because gaming is, I think, the largest entertainment medium in the world, um, you're going to find like-minded people that you can interact with, you can share your experiences with, you can join communities on social media sites like Twitter. Um, Like I said, you can join stream communities, meet people through there. But ultimately, with gaming, the beauty of it is just play what you enjoy. That's a great answer to that. Uh, So uh, here on Parallel, we have an occasional final segment called One More Thing, in which we ask a slightly whimsical question of each of our guests. And uh, my, my question for each of you is, what was your most special or best gaming moment of 2021? And I even warned you, sometimes I surprise guests and, you know, yeah. I give them like a minute. And <laughs> I know, I know. I, 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 you, you told us ahead of time what the, the one more thing would be. And I'm still sat here thinking, oh, God, oh, but, but that thing. <laughs> oh, well, no, but wait, this thing. I'll pick a recent one um, because it is, it is both uh, heartwarming and um, hellish. Um, I was doing a charity stream uh this past weekend uh before before this recording and um i was playing a game called getting over it which you just control with like a mouse or one button uh, one thing on a controller um and you're just a man in a little cauldron filled with water and you have a hammer and you have to climb <laughs> weird mountains and uh chairs stacked in unusual manners and things like that. And I got up this really awkward tunnel that was very, very thin. And um, one of my viewers said like, hey, I will donate if you get up this tunnel. Uh, I get to the top of the tunnel and in my in, in my joy, I, uh, I, I went a little bit too hard and threw myself back off the mountain to the start. Oh no. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then my viewer donated anyway and said, I'm a man of my word, but I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How about you, Grant? The biggest surprise and most insane moment for me was, and I promise this isn't self-centered, but let me just explain it for a minute. Um, recently, Fanbyte published its first accessibility review for Halo. And that was the first time that a mainstream site outside of Can I Play That published an accessible game review. And that really showed how far the journalism industry has come. That from five years ago, disabled stories were very niche. They were written by able-bodied people. They were fitted with the inspiration lens which is, in my opinion, the worst enemy for disabled people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a few weeks ago, I, under Fanboy, published the first ever game accessibility review for Halo, so a major release. And it wasn't like, oh, this is great because I wrote the review. It was great because other disabled people now can be like, oh, this is a thing that we can do. If I want to be a journalist, let me be a journalist. Because we can see ourselves doing this. 
And it really shows that the, the journalism industry is moving beyond just treating disabled people as like a fear good story. Oh. We will definitely link to that in the show notes. That's great. And that is also a great segue for me to ask each of you to tell people where they can uh, keep up with what you're doing online. Um, yeah. So, hi. Um, you may have to spell this out in the in the in the description um, of wherever you post this because uh, people always spell my usernames wrong. Um, if you want to uh, see me sometime, um, if you want to catch any of my streams, I stream over uh, at Twitch on the twitch.tv slash Radders Gaming channel um, with two S's. So it's always confusing. Um, if you want to hear my ramblings or, uh, see some cute cat pictures, I have a Twitter, um, which is twitter.com slash Radders Gaming. And, um, other than that, maybe you'll see me in random publications or on the occasional podcast in various places. <laughs> Excellent. And we'll link to those on the show notes for people. And we do do a transcript as well. So if people want to I'll make sure the spelling is right. For when, when the machine does the transcript, <laughs> I will make sure the machine does it right. So <laughs> how about you, Grant? Uh, yeah, you can find me in varying gaming publications, usually under features. Um, I write a lot about the disabled perspective and accessibility in gaming. So you can find me in IGN, Wired, Fanboy, Washington Post, um, so on and so forth. And I don't stream. Um, I'm too shy for that. But you can just, if you're interested in accessibility stories, you can look on those sites and usually see my byline. But you get words, words and streaming, just different ways of creating and communicating. I don't, I don't do video. I just do audio. So <laughs> I, I can relate to that. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Grant Stoner and Lauren Radford, for being on Parallel. This was great. And as a non-gamer, I'm, I'm happy to have, uh, have had you guys school me on a few things. So thank you so much. If you want to follow this podcast, you can go to relay.fm slash parallel. You can also follow us at Parallel Pods on Twitter. You'll find me on Twitter personally at S-H-E-L-L-Y. Always happy to have your guest suggestions and your feedback on the shows. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Bye now.